Breaking news. At the time of this recording, mid-December, we are all neck deep in influenza, RSV, and in COVID. It is a triple pandemic, especially in the pediatric population. I have never seen sustained pediatric volumes like what we are dealing with right now. And as we are dealing with that, we are getting a lot of questions about what measures we should be bringing to the bedside for pediatric patients. We recently got an email from Neil Long asking us to discuss the role of oseltamivir in the treatment of patients with influenza, specifically pediatric patients with influenza. He says, quote, my local pediatric groups are recommending widespread oseltamivir prescriptions. When I mentioned the Cochrane Review showing no benefit, I was told to read this recent article in JAMA Pediatrics. Has the medical world gone mad and thrown evidence-based medicine out the window? Or am I just an ignorant? And then there's an expletive after that that I will not repeat on air. Well, Neil, thanks for the question, because I do think we should get into this because we haven't discussed oseltamivir and influenza in quite a while. Let's start with the Cochrane Library Review that Neil brings up. Neuraminidase inhibitors for preventing and treating influenza in adults and children. This is from 2014. When you go back to 2014, you guys will remember, those of you who are practicing, that there was a lot of debate and discussion around the literature coming out on oseltamivir, especially the fact that a lot of the studies that were done were not published. And we were only getting a very selective look at the data set that was created by some of the pharmaceutical companies. And so the Cochrane Library did a review of the data that was available and said, We can't really tell you anything based on the available data because we haven't gotten access to all of the data. This publication is the update with better access to the data. They looked at a number of different areas, the first of which was time to first symptom alleviation. The data here seems fairly clear that oseltamivir reduces the time to alleviation of symptoms by about 17 hours in adults and slightly longer in children, about a day in kids. So for symptom alleviation, there does appear to be a benefit for oseltamivir, although that benefit is fairly small. It's not like patients were going from seven days sick to two days sick. It was like from seven to six and a half in adults and from seven to six in kids. So a modest benefit in reduction of symptoms. When the Cochrane Group looked at things that maybe are a little bit more important, like hospitalization, they found no benefit in terms of hospitalization, either for adults or for kids or even for prophylaxis with oseltamivir. When it comes to serious influenza complications, again, oseltamivir does not significantly reduce these complications in either kids or in adults. For the development of pneumonia, there does seem to be a small benefit for oseltamivir, but that benefit was only in patients with unverified pneumonia. So kind of self-reported without strict guidelines. When they looked at studies that actually had guidelines on how to diagnose pneumonia, there was no benefit. So when we look at the strict criteria for defining pneumonia, no benefit for oseltamivir. And of course, we also have to talk about the harms. And this is where the Cochrane Review really sheds some light on a number of different issues because oseltamivir does carry harms. Patients who got oseltamivir were more likely to develop nausea with a number needed to harm of about 28 we're more likely to develop vomiting with a number needed to harm of 22. We also see an increased risk of psychiatric events with oseltamivir. So these are some important harms that we need to consider when prescribing the medication. Despite that data, the WHO and other organizations have recommended oseltamivir for use in kids as well as in adults 
when they develop flu as long as it can be administered early on in treatment. But I think many clinicians have recognized the downsides of this medication, the limited benefit, and that doesn't even take into account the fact that these studies do have a lot of bias associated with them, specifically publication bias, because all of these original studies were done by the pharmaceutical company that stood to benefit from playing up Osultamivir as this huge cure. The question then is, what has changed from 2014, we had this great, well-done Cochrane review looking at the data, to now in 2022? And it's this article that came out recently in JAMA Pediatrics, Association of Early Osultamivir with Improved Outcomes in Hospitalized Children with Influenza 2007 to 2020. This is a multi-center retrospective study looking at about 56,000 patients with influenza, and it's really only looking at kids who were hospitalized. And right away, we have to look at that and say, okay, this doesn't apply to the patient who comes in with influenza to my emergency department, and they are well enough to go home. There's really nothing in this article that should change what we're doing with that group, because this study was only looking at hospitalized kids. The authors here report an association with Osultamivir and shorter hospital length of stay, as well as reduced all-cause seven-day hospital readmission and mortality, as well as needing to upgrade the patient to the ICU. And so if you look at this paper on the face of it, it looks like Osultamivir should be used in any kid who needs to be hospitalized with influenza. But the data set really does suffer from a number of different issues. The major one is that we don't actually know why a certain group of these kids got Osultamivir and a certain group didn't. This isn't a randomized control trial. On top of that, everybody knew whether they were getting Osultamivir or not, and that might influence whether the patient stayed longer or whether they were upgraded to the ICU. We don't know how that affects the outcomes here. And so it introduces bias to the study. On top of that, they drew from an administrative data set. So they really don't have any clinical information about these patients. We can't tell whether the patients who got Osultamivir were similar to the patients who didn't get Osultamivir. And so we can't really determine from this data set whether Osultamivir really has the benefits that this group is playing up. Where does that leave us? And it brings us back to Neil's question, should we be changing our practice in the emergency department? Based on the 2014 Cochrane database review, there's no reason to use this medication except for a mild shortening of symptoms, again, by about 16 hours in adults and about 25, 28 hours in kids. So there is a little bit of a shortening of symptoms, but remember, there's also harms associated with this, including nausea and vomiting. If a child presents to your emergency department, you diagnose them with influenza, they're safe to go home, you don't need to be giving Osultamivir. Nothing has changed since that data came out in 2014 and was analyzed. That being said, I don't think that you're going to be surprised to see lots of people prescribing this because it is supported by some of the organizations that are out there, including the WHO. What about for patients that I need to admit to the hospital? They're sick enough that they need to stay in the hospital. Should I be giving Osultamivir to that group? based on this JAMA pediatric study? I don't think so. I don't think that this study really shows us a benefit to this medication in that group. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen because once the patient's admitted, you lose control of the management of that patient and the inpatient team may very well be giving Osultamivir. Don't be surprised if you see that, not only based on this study, but also, again, based on the recommendation of some professional organizations. I think, though, it's really important to stress that this new publication in JAMA Pediatrics shouldn't change what we do in the emergency department for discharged patients. Giving them Osultamivir with the thought of 
preventing them from rebounding to the hospital, needing to get admitted down the line, getting sicker. We don't have any data that tells us that. And this new study doesn't add to that either because it was only looking at hospitalized patients. We've mostly spoken about oseltamivir in this discussion because that's what was looked at in this new study. But when we go back to that Cochrane review, they also looked at zanamivir, another one of these neuraminidase inhibitors. They found about the same results with that drug as with oseltamivir. So nothing is really different with the alternate antivirals. And I think at the end of the day, bottom line, these drugs don't seem to give much benefit in terms of influenza management. It's not something we should be routinely prescribing to patients. All right, well, that is all for this breaking news. Neil, thank you so much for sending this question in, this comment in for us to dive into a little bit because we haven't talked about it in a while. And of course, anytime you have these kind of issues, send them along. We would love to take a look at the literature and give a quick update on where we are. I hope everybody out there in MRAP land is staying healthy. It is a hard slog right now with, well, basically every patient you're seeing with an acute febrile illness. It's hard for us to stay healthy, but I hope that all of you are doing the best to do that. It's probably masking and washing hands as much as you can. That's probably the best we can do right now to stay healthy. I hope you're all doing it. I hope you all have a great new year and we'll see you in 2023.